Welcome to Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. I'm your host, Shelley Dankoff. This is part one of a very special discussion that includes a bit of a history lesson. In 2013, the Jump Simulation and Education Center, or JUMP, was introduced as a space to dramatically improve outcomes and lower costs in healthcare. Since then, the building has become the hub of OSF innovation, where cross-functional teams converge and leverage their expertise to advance the future of healthcare. Joining me today to discuss the amazing journey of JUMP and OSF innovation and the achievements of the past 10 years are Dr. John Bozanelic, the Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for OSF Innovation and Founding Executive Director of JUMP, Ruba Folger, the Vice President of Digital Innovation Development at OSF Innovation, and Noel Adams, Vice President of Academic Collaborations and Operations for OSF Innovation. So we'll start with this. Jump Simulation is the largest specially built medical simulation and innovation center in the country. And it is located in Peoria, Illinois, on the campus of OSF Healthcare St. Francis Medical Center, the largest hospital in the OSF Healthcare Ministry. So, Vaz, we're going back to the beginning with you. How did JUMP come into being all those years ago? Many years ago, uh, before I was even a feature uh, inside the OSF landscape, we um, OSF was doing simulation. We had simulations for surgeons. We had simulations for pediatricians. We had critical care simulations and work that was going on continuously at St. Francis and the other hospitals. What happened is that this work uh, took new meaning in um, a gift. So the DeSoma family, um, who became generous uh, donors to the OSF ministry, when their daughter was injured in very rural Illinois, about an hour south and west of Peoria. And when their daughter um, required a life flight trip to OSF to recover her from severe trauma, uh, they encountered Dr. Pearl. And for anyone who knows Dr. Pearl, he is a character. Uh, He is a remarkable person. Uh, He uh, will never let you down. And he told the Soma family that we don't let kids die here. The Soma family did not know what they were going to encounter. They were from Chicago and they came to Peoria. And even just coming from this terrible event at the farm to Peoria was a, was a major stressor for everyone. But they encountered compassion and they encountered competence and they definitely encountered Dr. Pearl. Uh, they created a great relationship with him. And because of Dr. Pearl's involvement in simulation, it was a confluence. The, they were coming together the, the principal, uh, Mr. Bill DeSoma, um, understood simulation very well from his industry. And when Dr. Pearl spoke of a vision of how simulation could improve healthcare outcomes, well, they were really compelled. Yeah, to say Dr. Pearl, Dr. Rick Pearl was a character is a bit of an understatement, I think. But he had a vision. He was visionary, which you are too. You, We kind of cultivated and drew you to Peoria and allowed you to unleash your vision too. Talk a little bit about that, of what you saw in the possibilities for this space to be created in Peoria, Illinois. Prior to coming to the mission, I had spent a lot of time thinking about how we could use simulation to improve healthcare outcomes. Uh, I was working up at Northwestern. Uh, I was beginning to incorporate more engineering and design into the simulations there. 
So when I was approached to become, to become part of this mission, I brought these ideas with me. And here, uh, it was a green field. Every opportunity and wonderful academic partners all around the campus, the medical campus. And so um, it was a natural to expand those thoughts. And now this is why JUMP is truly special because it's fully integrated, not just for the training of medical professionals or nursing professionals, but for the redesign of healthcare when it's necessary and the upskilling of every mission partner, and not the least of which our academic partner, the University of Illinois College of Medicine here in Peoria, and our new academic partners. Yeah, let's we'll go over to Noel because, again, talking about some of those academic partnerships, I mean, that has been huge over the years, the developing, the cultivating, the expanding of those, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as Dr. Fazanelic stated, we started with the University of Illinois College of Medicine Peoria, and at that time we didn't have any greater vision for all of these additional academic collaborations, but creating those has really fostered our ability to work with the faculty at the universities for new ideas and, and research, and that's really helped us further innovation at OSF. So, Noel, I mean, we're talking about the partnerships that we have. Can you specifically tell me that the different partnerships, because there's quite a few of them, aren't there? There are quite a few, and there's a lot of an initials in there and abbreviations. So, you know, we, we have several University of Illinois partnerships. We have the College of Medicine Peoria. We have Urbana, and we have Chicago. And what's really nice about that is, is we have hospitals throughout the state as well. And so having those collaborators in the regions is great. And so then we recognized here in Peoria there's opportunities with Bradley. So we brought Bradley on board with us, and most recently – in Bloomington, we brought on ISU. So having those hospitals in those areas and those local collaborators really helps them relate to the, the problems that we're trying to solve in those areas. And from a college perspective, you know, both Bradley University and Illinois State University, that's a young mind again, and maybe you're affecting something that they never thought about. Here's students that are coming in going, oh, I never thought about that. Are you seeing some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's grad students on a lot of those different projects. And, you know, those universities feed our systems with clinicians as well. And so creating that awareness and the different types of work that we're doing and getting them started early on solving those those healthcare issues is, is super helpful. There've been quite a number of, you know, people that have come through the training programs. It is impressive. We've had over a million learner visits through the simulation area in 10 years. 1.1 million learner visitors, 72,000 total learners at simulation events at JUMP, more than 6,500 events, 660-plus residents graduated through it, and nearly 600 medical students. Just the fact that you can educate before they're unleashed into the world, if you will, for patient care perspective, that's huge, isn't it? It's really the tip of the iceberg. It's, it is enormous, and we certainly are passionate about it. But we also take the simulation program into the field. And for the 15 hospitals that are currently in our ministry, we bring simulation to those individuals as well. We call this our in situ program. We bring talented facilitators, technicians, and the simulation equipment into those environments and our purpose there is to enhance teamwork and training to find if there are any latent threats to quality and safety and really expand both the connection to our mission partners and also to expand our approach in quality and safety and ensure the environments are really producing what they intend. 
Yeah, and we've done a past Health Accelerated on that where we talked about just some of the lessons learned in going into the field with the hands-on, because if the learners can't come to you, you go to the learners and you see the difference it makes. Rupa, I want to loop you in over here. You mm-hmm. you look at this from the data. I mean, data is your life, isn't it? And a lot of the work you do. So talk about some of the work you're doing as part of Jump Simulation and how that has moved us forward in OSF innovation. Sure. So uh, the data and analytics team uh, was one of the cross-discipline teams in the, in the Jump Innovation building. And um, the partnerships with the with the university and collaborations, as uh, Noel had um, outlined, has uh, has helped us accelerate in how we can use data for innovation. And um, during the COVID pandemic, uh, we had done some research in collaboration with the university, and we were working on how to solve some of the health equity issues. And then COVID happened. And some of the research and the data work that was done as part of it in identifying population, escalating care, uh, risk stratification, we actually put in place um, and we were able to um, uh, take care of almost 10,000 patients as part of the program who would have otherwise come to the hospital. And the data was a driving factor in terms of um, identifying those high-risk patients who needed that escalated care, who could be taken care of virtually through our on-call clinical partners. So it was uh, just timely with some of the work that we had done through the collaboration with the university to be able to implement uh, when, you know, things went really bad. You know, we've we've talked about it before, how the pandemic forced things that we were doing at a slow and steady, nice, controlled, here we go along, and all of a sudden it's kind of like foot in the middle of the bag, shove you off the cliff and you don't have a choice. Is that the benefit of being in a center like Jump Simulation that you were ready to go, even though it happened fast and it could have been scary for some, in a way it was controlled chaos of sorts? I would agree. I think I think the fact that we have like a very open culture where, you know, you have it's it's not just like teams in the building, but we are actually collaborating with each other. Uh, you know, it's uh, the the space is completely open. It helped us really break a lot of uh, barriers, especially when we needed to jump in. Uh, Noel was helping, you know, kind of get uh, help me helping through the pandemic, uh, uh, set up servers, you know, work th- work with IT, operationally help things stand up. While I was working with uh, some of our developers and how we can build a system quickly that we were prototyping with the university. So it was it was just awesome because uh, it, you don't have these barriers that you would see uh, because of the open culture that, that we had there. So Rupa, when you talk about some of these projects, can you give me something specific? We've talked a lot about the work in the cancer realm. Mm-hmm. What specifically, is there a specific case where you can talk about where you have seen the impact of the work you do on a data end to really impact that patient care perspective? Absolutely. So uh, during COVID, uh, one of the things was uh, that we observed was patients were not coming in for screenings. And it's, it was about the same time we also received a, a grant for us to look at how we can help with uh, breast cancer screening and uh, look at it from a lens of also health equity so that we can close the gap. And uh, one of the things on the data side that we do is um, is we derive context and meaning from the data, which is very hard to do from just an EMR. In EMR, when you, you have to pull record by record and somebody's looking at it and, and deriving it. But we are able to do it at scale 
uh, as we go through the data and like immediately derive meaning context and you know action action from that so through that work what we what we did was we had um, uh, outreach to patients who hadn't come in for for the screening and um we also um, uh, uh, were not only outreaching them through text, but also seeing uh, who was not connecting with us with that first outreach and then have them like a, a digital health navigator. It would then flow to a digital health navigator who would then connect them through a phone call. So it was a connected journey that I was saying that data was enabling. And um, we found through that uh, an increase of uh, patients coming in from screening almost by, uh, uh, you know, Sixty percent for the for especially for the underserved, and, wow. and this is more like not sixty percent increase, but compared to past, which was like ten percent, we were able to ramp up to uh, you know double digit you know number beyond that, and um, with uh, some of the patients that were outreached uh, through either texting or digital health navigators. Uh, they actually found uh, they were in uh, various stages, a few of them, and we were able to catch that early, get them in and actually help them go through treatment plans. So, um, and all of this, just through automation and through data, of course, with the, with the connection at the other end that a patient could, uh, you know, reach out to. And that's part of also that success is what we are also deploying through the Medicaid Innovation Collaborative, where uh, some of the patients that don't have access to transportation are not able to come in for their care because of other issues, have a person at the other end that can connect with them and say, hey, how can I help you, uh, you know, to come in and get that needed services. Did that almost take your breath away when you saw, here's data, and data is black and white a lot of times. It's very specific. And you see it, and then you get that patient's story, and you hear the stories that this many people came in, and they got screened, and something was found. That probably has to almost take your breath away. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was. Um, it it as someone who's not a clinician, you know, you don't get to see how the patient care happens and how you're directly impacting. Stories like this was very impactful, and you know, kind of makes you know makes you feel good about the mission, the sister's mission, right? Greatest care and love that everybody has an aspect to it that you can contribute. Absolutely. Yeah, from your perspective, Noel, where you stood and watched it all, what was it like to look at it through your eyes as she smiles? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's kind of a fun question. You know, there was so much rapid change, and the mission partner's willingness to just jump in wherever they were needed was remarkable to watch. You had people that were out driving in cars and delivering packages who would traditionally be running simulations. And so, you know, it was this whole evolution of everybody just chipping in to, to do what needed to be done for healthcare. So it was really great to see. Yeah, and it's amazing when we look at it, you know, you leveraged a previous digital transformation work to have the digital response led to more than 110,000 interactions with individuals across the state. This wasn't just here in the, you know, immediate central Illinois area. You could really get out into all regions. More than 4,000 individuals receiving at-home care via the Pandemic Health Worker Program at the end of 2020. I think probably one of the really cool things that has come out of JUMP, and it's been there since the early days, that in 2013, so we go back right to the beginning, that JUMP became one of about a dozen health care sites converting two-dimensional images of the heart into exact 3D printed replicas 
that surgeons could use for surgical planning. And they're still doing this to this day. You know, Vaz, talk a little bit about that. Why that? I mean, that put us on the map, takes you to the patient care. And what does that mean for a surgeon to be able to hold something that they will be operating on in their hands before the procedure goes? So I think the first thing to consider in this is the the idea of the service that's provided. So the Children's Hospital of Illinois and the, the UECOMP faculty that work there and the staff that work there, they're all about service to a large geographic area and, and actually relatively rural geographic area. So outreach and craving resources for patients who are most needing these resources is, is paramount. Well, this idea of being able to pull images into our environment and convert them quickly into useful things began, as you said, very early in Jump's journey. Uh, we invested in 3D printing and we suddenly realized that we could do more in service. We could see more children and provide better surgeries for children if we perform that technique. Uh, and we still do today. Now, where the world got really focused on 3D printing, we continued the journey uh, because what we discovered early on is that these images could be more quickly processed into virtual reality environments, which the surgeons preferred. So we not only now create 3D physical models, but we also put these images into virtual reality. Well, what happens when you do that? Well, you can actually send a virtual reality file through email or through a shared mechanism uh, much faster and at a much higher scale than you could do with a physical object, a 3D print. Uh, and so we are continuously advancing and innovating on how we serve our patients, not the least of which are these most vulnerable congenital heart patients. And so it's not just about what takes place within the OSF Healthcare Ministry itself. We collaborate outside. There are other health systems that come to us. We're working with others to help share what we're learning and doing here. It's having an effect across the country, right? This is correct. Uh, we actually solicit images. There's, um, we do this as part of a, a philanthropic mission. Um, we fund the work to pull in images from across the country. If a, if a cardiac surgeon for a child or other uh, person sends us a file, we quickly uh, turn that file around. We do the 3D print, and we also send them a file in virtual reality so that there are kids uh, and adults that are being cared for in New York and Texas and California and other states that are receiving the benefit of the philanthropy that, that exists within JUMP. And it's just so fascinating. And you also think about in 2014 how JUMP became the curator of the National Institutes of Health 3D Heart Library. So it's a platform to share 3D heart models for collaboration and education. It's a literal heart library because of different things we're learning and doing. And you say the National Institutes of Health, and that's just a nice connect to have too, isn't it? It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and this network of like-minded individuals that, which exist, again, across the country, coming together on these key issues and led by uh, the faculty of the University of Illinois here in Peoria, as well as uh, the supports that we provide within JUMP really make the, the whole marriage work. I want to go on to something that I know is near and dear to Noel's heart because we talk about collaborations. We talk about training our current medical students but we always want to grow down the road and in the future. So the STEAM program, where we have young, interested minds, train the professionals of tomorrow to come in. 
I love this stat. Jump Steam has introduced more than 8,000 young people across more than 20 states to different healthcare opportunities. That is just amazing with STEAM. So people who are not aware, Noel, talk about the extent and how robust our STEAM program, where it started and, and where it is now. Sure. So you're absolutely right. I'm really passionate about it. So STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math. And you'll see it in school systems a lot. It's not necessarily applied to healthcare as, as we do. Um, generally, engineering careers and, and, you know, every kid in the area thinks engineering caterpillar. And so we identified this opportunity to connect it into the healthcare careers because there is so much science, technology, engineering, even art. Uh, you know, we have medical visualization people that are doing art to help our patient care and our education. And so that connection is a strong tie. And, and we identified early schools started calling us, hey, can we come do a, a field trip? And while that was great, it's probably not going to inspire kids in the long term. And so we wanted to look for opportunities to create some longevity in, in that inspiration with kids. And so we not only brought them in for field trips, but we started to do small hands-on experiences. And from there, we just kind of started STEAM Saturdays. And so we'd bring kids in for four hours, much beyond the, the field trip where they can come in for an hour with their school. And then kind of one of those happy accidents from COVID is, is that happened you know, we couldn't bring kids in building anymore. Our building had been repurposed. Everybody had been sent home for safety. And so we recognized we could bring STEAM to them in their homes and they could continue to learn while being, you know, quarantined or, or sent home. And so that really allowed us to start to scale STEAM to a, a much larger uh, capacity of children because you can only bring so many in at a time. And so that's, you know, when I hear those numbers, you kind of see the big smile on my face and I get excited because, you know, we had no vision to be able to scale to that level. 20 states, that's amazing. How do we get that far? And, you know, it was really just grassroots as parents were recognizing, wow, here's an opportunity to engage my kid at home, you know, as they were home. And, you know, now that the world's kind of opened up again, it allows us to really create a full 360 programming where we can still bring kids in and inspire them that way. But also we'll still send this out and we can do video conferencing as well. So we can do live remote learning um, in, addition, in addition to the more static, hey, here's a video watch, walk through, dissect your shark. And so we've really gotten creative on how we can reach all these different children because we do recognize it is a problem across the United States with our, our clinicians. And so um, really inspiring those new ones is, is important for us. And yes, she said shark. She really did, because it's one of the really cool, fun programs through through STEAM that the kids, you get to do that. And now you're hearing the stories of kids who perhaps came through four, five, eight years ago. They're now the ones who maybe have gone to medical school. They're the ones who are involved in those clinical worlds and having an impact. That must do your heart good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have the, the pre-medical immersion as well. So even those undergraduate students, bringing them in and helping them understand what medical school will look like, you know, that's that's been really great to do because those kids come in and then we see them over at the University of, of Illinois College of Medicine, Peoria. And so we have a faculty, Shannon Agley crosses both and they'll walk into his classroom on the first day and be like, I remember you. Do you remember me? And so, you know, you just kind of get some of that element of watching these kids grow, grow up with us. Yeah, that's super cool. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the social connections that are made because of JUMP. And one of those ways is through their JUMP Ventures program. You know, we've invested more than, what is the number? 
$250 million in assets under management, more than 1,500 startups vetted through the OSF Ventures Initiative. What sets our ventures, sets OSF Ventures apart and the goal for it in helping to bring some of these, you know, new devices to bear? So the distinctive feature of our ventures group is that it is not as focused on a pure profit objective. And in our case, the thesis statement for our OSF Ventures is that the investments will drive value in terms of patient care outcomes. Uh, you know, and it's really quite inspiring to think how you can really connect on that and still create great sustainability for our mission. Now, the really fun part for me is the fact that the Ventures Group, from time to time, will bring us a device or they'll bring us a process. And we'll actually roll it out through the simulation program. We'll invite members of our community. If the device affects surgeons, we bring in surgeons. If the, de- if the workflow involves nursing, we bring in nursing. We run a series of simulations that help us to understand the product or device. We learn about the company through this mechanism. We learn how easy or hard it would be to integrate into our system. And we advance their investment portfolio by a real understanding. Uh, it's another really distinctive use of an integrated simulation program inside an innovation center. Yeah, and it's it's turned out some very key pieces of equipment, hasn't it, over the years? Right. Uh, I think the very first exit that the Venture Group uh, had was on a medical device that was uh, actually tested uh, extensively within Jump. I know another thing for you, Vaz, is the engineering component and just bringing that in. Jump is leveraging bioengineering expertise to produce custom trainers, solutions to enhancing simulation education, more than 370 heart models for surgical planning, more than 70 personalized devices to better meet the needs of patients and help mission partners, how we refer to our employees, prototype 29 ideas. That connection bringing in our mission partners is also another key component of what we're doing through OSF Innovation, isn't it? Absolutely. The mission partners, our mission partners are highly creative and they come up with solutions all the time. Um, The idea, uh, regrettably, isn't enough. We've got to put the idea in motion and the use of engineers, embedded engineers inside our innovation center to take those ideas on and to really create specifications and builds and design and prototype. Well, that all happens in-house. It really expedites the explorer and it really expedites the service. Uh, Again, it's all about service. Innovation, I think, gets this sort of glossy appeal because it's, you know, fancy, robust, speedy, all these adjectives. Well, really it's about service and connecting. So you connect to the individuals who have ideas you connect them to additional resources, you invest. And time time and effort is just as much an investment as capital. Uh, and that's where this is uh, happening on a daily basis at the Jump Center. So um, among the things you described, we are advancing uh, the care of patients with cancer. Uh, the idea of creating comfortable environments, uh, creating more focused therapies. Uh, we can connect through our vast amount of data on what our patients require and how we can be more preventative and more proactive. And if we have an opportunity to intervene on treatment, we're there as well. Now, I think in our future also, we're going to be talking a lot about survivorship 
and how we can really continue the connection and enhance the relationship with our patients, even past their successful recovery from cancer. Rupa, I see you nodding your head. Our listeners can't see mm-hmm. it. But again, when it comes to data, data in a lot of ways is everything, isn't it? So when you can see right. the connections happening, is there something that comes to your mind when you're thinking about this where it was that light bulb, that moment, and you went, aha, uh-huh, that's cool. I mean, tell me about some of those efforts. So, um, you know, Dr. Vazanalek was talking about, you know, survivorship and, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we're looking at is, how we can help personalize with data and information that we have when our uh, cancer navigators or anybody else is having that connection with our patients and taking them through a tough journey, right? Or or even after they've been through the tough journey and understanding, you know, um, a little bit more about them through the data uh, about, you know, the area that they live in, what is the, uh, um, you know, what is the environmental factor surrounding and and kind of not uh, giving an information overload to the clinicians, but really tailoring it to that particular activity, that particular time, right time, right information uh, is something that we are um, working on. And in the the um, the last six, seven years, the work that we've done in the data side is kind of enabling us now to start helping with that experience uh, that our clinicians can provide provide with our patients. Yeah, because the clinicians are front row center. They see right. it come in every day, and they're. How many times have you seen somebody walk in the door and say, "I wish we had X and such," or "I wish we could do this," and now you can, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's taken us a few years to build that, but now we'll be able to leverage that for so many uh, aspects of it. Not only from a patient personalization for our patients, but also really radical efficiencies for our uh, mission partners, right? Uh, to be able to expand and and do more, uh, you know, and, and really help them feel that they are empowered. Yeah, personalized medicine. We hear that term a lot these days. Everybody wants, I want what's best for me. I don't want this bulk drop thing. And so the work being done out of jump and jump simulation and OSF innovation is going to make that a reality, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and as Rupa had pointed out, it does begin with data. So the idea, how many patients are in a particular condition? How many patients are at risk? How many patients can we provide outreach to? And through what means? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I like to receive information through text messaging. I find it to be much faster. I miss emails from time to time. And phone calls are frankly intrusive in today's age. Well, it's the same for patients. Patients have a desire to be communicated with in, in the way that they want to be communicated with. So this idea of how we can connect with patients, how we can improve the communication, how we can partner with them on their journey to treatment, whether the treatment is a cancer tr- treatment or the treatment is more uh, traditional. All these things are in the mix as we move forward to design our approach. Now, let's not leave behind the human portion of all this. So automation and efficiency are lovely, but as Rupa said, this is brought to the, our providers and our clinicians at the right time, the right information, so that they can do the next and human approach. Uh, we've never lost sight of our mission here, which is greatest care and love. So as we get ready to wrap things up, let's look back in the past 10 years. I'm going to ask each of you this question. So I'll start with you, Noel. What sticks out most to you? over the past 10 years as we're at this point, 
how you see it. Did you ever think whatever it is would happen? Did you ever think you would be doing whatever today, 10 years ago? So look back over the 10 years and what sticks out to you as perhaps the biggest accomplishment from your perspective? You know, Shelly, 10 years ago, so I I started as the sim manager. I saw the big building coming and all the technology, and I was like, I want to be a part of that. And so I I came over, and and really it was about educating the, you know, all the different clinicians. And and there was a lot of we can't do that yet at the time. And so as, as we've sat here talking, it's really struck me at how much we can do that we couldn't do 10 years ago. We didn't have virtual reality we didn't have the augmented reality that we can do with the applications we do today. We didn't have all of the academic collaborations that we can leverage all of these skills with our, our faculty partners. And so it's really amazing all of the things that we can do today that weren't even a thought 10 years ago of, wow, we can do that. And so that's probably, to me, the, the most significant thing. Rupa, how about you? Um, I think looking back 10 years at that time, uh, you know, we were focused on building our data and analytics infrastructure specifically for looking at how KPIs, how we can improve performance. And and now we're using the same infrastructure and data to really start expanding on our digital transformation journey. I think that's been a huge uh, um, aha for me, you know, looking back. And uh, another thing is just the fact that it's a cross-discipline team, it's... Um, we are able to tap into, uh, you know, uh, each other, like just talk through ideas and, and like, you know, I would run something through Dr. Vaz or Noel and like, hey, yeah, okay, this, like, we can do this this way, right? So it's been amazing, like I've partnered up with Medviz team and kind of helping us prototype some of the ideas that have come through. So I think that's been a big, uh, you know, accomplishment. Okay. And Dr. Vaz and like, I will let you put the bow on it. When you look back over the past 10 years... What is that big aha moment for you? I really think that it comes down to the idea that the innovation space and the culture we've produced here at OSF has become a meaningful enabler of success for mission partners. Uh, We have wonderful examples of people who are creative and think differently. They require some structure, some support, some resources, some great partners. And we can look at the things that we've done on this journey in terms of money we've raised either through grants and these things, you know, these are side effects of the true work, of the true build, which is to connect with our mission partners on how their every day can be made better through innovative approaches, especially when we focus on service, we focus on outcomes, and we focus on our core mission. And we will end it with that. I appreciate all of your time. Dr. John Vazanelli, Group of Folger, and Noelle Adams, thank you for taking time to join us on this edition of Health Accelerated as we look back at the first 10 years of Jump Simulation and Education Center in Peoria, Illinois. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, You can also find links to any of our episodes on the OSF Newsroom at newsroom.osfhealthcare.org.